0: We live in a day where people are made uncomfortable by any claim of truth. Jesus taught that he himself was the truth and the only way to God. But as he breathed his last on the cross, it seemed like he would be written off as a fraud. But Easter Sunday serves as a reminder that God cashes in on all of his promises. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt, delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free gospel-equipping resources over at our website, Radical.net. Well, in today's sermon, David Platt encourages us from John chapter 20 with testimonies to the resurrection. Through Christ being raised from the dead, our eyes have been opened to the truth we now live in the hope of the resurrection, trusting that we will one day be with Him forever. Here's David with a sermon titled, Stories of Hope, from John chapter 20.
1: Well, if you uh, have a Bible, and I hope you do, or maybe somebody around you does, you can look on with, and if you don't happen to have one, that's fine, the verses will be up on the screen. But I want to invite you to open with me to John chapter 20, and while you're turning there, I want to... Welcome those of you who are gathering with us all over Washington and Montgomery County and Prince William and Loudoun and at different microsites and assisted living centers and then a variety of people in overflow rooms here and other places. It's just good to be together in a variety of different locations on Easter. And I I, I have prayed that the next few minutes would not be a normal Easter. I I have a concern that for many people, Easter Sunday is kind of like religious routine. Like we go to church, we hear some songs, we listen to a sermon on the resurrection of Jesus, maybe spend some time with friends or family, and then go back to life as normal on Monday. And I'm just zealous for today to be different than that. I want you to picture two scenarios with me. Scenario number one, imagine sitting in your living room watching the news on TV or or flipping through the news on your phone and you see a report about how pancreatic cancer is the most deadly cancer in the world you hear the facts how pancreatic cancer is tough to diagnose it doesn't appear oftentimes until it's too late it kills 95% of the people who have it usually within six months some people die within days of diagnosis so imagine hearing that and thinking what a horrible disease then you swipe over to a different app or switch the channel to something else But then imagine a second scenario. In this scenario, you're sitting, not in your living room, but in a doctor's office after a physical and you're waiting for your results from a routine scan and the doctor comes in. He sits down and looks across the desk at you and says, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have pancreatic cancer. That news hits you a lot lot different than it does in the first scenario, right? Now, here's the deal. That news in the first scenario was true. The facts were there. You believed them. But in the second scenario, that news isn't just true. It's personal. It shakes you to the core of your being. That news changes everything about your outlook on life and death. And that's what I'm praying will happen in the next few minutes. I don't don't want anybody to hear about the resurrection of Jesus and think, I I guess that's true, the facts are there, I believe them, and then flip the channel on the rest of your life. I have prayed that in the next few minutes you might be shaken at the core of your being. That you might hear this news about the resurrection of Jesus and you might realize that this changes everything. Everything about your life and death and just to let you know where all of this is headed a few minutes from now I am going to invite people all across this room and in other campuses other rooms to trust in Jesus to change your life I know there are various friends or family members who are here Today, you might say you're not a Christian. Maybe this is your first time in the church. Maybe you've come to church many times. Maybe even this church many times. Regardless, today, I'm going to invite you to put all your hope and all your trust in Jesus. And not just those of you who would say that you're not a Christian. There are others of you who would say that you are a Christian, you have called yourself a Christian, but the reality is you don't really know Christ. Like you've attended a church, maybe this church, for however long, maybe many years. At various points in your life, you have gone through various motions of Christianity. But if the truth were told today, Jesus is not your life. Today, at the end of our time, I am going to invite you to leave behind nominal Christianity, Christianity in name only, and to trust in Jesus as your life. In fact, let me, let me pause. I just want to pray for the next few minutes. Let's, let's pray. God, I, I pray that through your word, not through my words, But your word, I pray that in the next few minutes, you would bring life to people all across this room and in campuses and rooms all over the city where we're gathered right now. I pray that by your spirit in even unexpected ways, you would shake us at the core of our beings that you would show us the hope that is found in Jesus and that you would bring many people to eternal life in him. God, only you can do this by your spirit. I pray that you would do this in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in John chapter 20, you have the story of Jesus' resurrection told from three different perspectives, three different people whose lives were shaken, totally changed by the resurrection of Jesus. So I want you to hear their stories, but not just hear their stories. I want you to hear alongside them stories of people today here in Washington who 2,000 years later have had their lives changed by Jesus in the same way. So the first person we hear from in John chapter 20 is a woman named Mary Magdalene. Now Mary Magdalene is not to be confused with Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene was a woman whom Jesus had healed long before this. She had followed Jesus ever since. She was present at Jesus' trial. She was there, and Jesus was crucified on a cross. Now, a couple of days later, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Mary came to Jesus' tomb. When she got there, she was shocked because the stone in front of the tomb had been rolled away, and she immediately assumed that Jesus' body had been stolen, which apparently was not an uncommon thing in that day. So we hear her story starting in John chapter 20, verse 11. Follow along with me. The Bible says Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. In other words, somebody's stolen his body. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. You can only imagine in her tears not being able to recognize Jesus and not expecting in any way that he would be alive. Like resurrection was not even in people's worldview in that point. This was the farthest thing from her mind. So Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. If only she knew how responsible this guy was for that body not being in the tomb. (laughs) Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, "Rabbi," which means teacher. Oh, feel the weight and the wonder of this scene here's mary magdalene this woman whom jesus had healed a woman who had gone from being unclean in the culture around her to being clean to having new life only to see the one she had followed be murdered in the most violent form of death imaginable in that day The horror of that scene she had witnessed. The grief she was experiencing. All of her hopes had been dashed. All of her joy had been ripped away. Only now to come and honor Jesus in his death and to find so she thinks that somebody has stolen his body. Do you ever ever feel like when it rains, it pours? Have you ever been at a point in this world where it feels like your hopes have been dashed where your joy has been taken away you ever gotten to a point where you look around and you think this is not what I would have planned have you ever experienced grief so deep that it's impossible to even put into words and have you ever felt just alone in the middle of it all I've got a feeling that most of us can identify at some level maybe many levels with the hurt we can only imagine in Mary here she is completely alone by herself standing in this tomb weeping unable to be consoled by even angels much less some gardener until the supposed gardener says one word I love this all Jesus says is her name Mary and the way he says it in a voice that is just as recognizable as a husband's voice is to his wife or a mother's voice is to her child the voice of Jesus echoes in her heart and she turns and with shock and surprise she says literally my dear teacher and in an instant she goes from grief to gladness in an instant she goes from sorrow to joy now, I'll hear Mary's story of the resurrection of Jesus. She says, I was hurting and Jesus gave me hope. And this is the point of Jesus' resurrection. This world that we live in is full of sorrow and hurt, sin and sadness, unmet desires and shattered dreams, unexpected disease, inevitable death, but Jesus came to conquer it all. The reason Jesus went to the cross in the first place is because of sin and sorrow and death in the world that separates us from the goodness of God. Because of our sin... We experience these things. We've all been separated from God. It looks different in all of our lives, but sin is what separates us from God. Jesus came to change that. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sin, to pay the price of sin for us. He took upon himself the full force of sin and death. And then three days later, he rose from the dead in victory over sin and death so that we might have hope. No matter what this world brings you, no matter how this world hurts you you can know with Jesus sin and sorrow and death will not have the last word no Jesus he's come to us like right where we are in the midst of our struggles in the midst of our hurts in the midst of our pain just like he did with Mary he meets us there and in the middle of our hurting he gives us hope that's Mary's story and she's not alone I invite you to hear Shallon's story I want you to hear this story of how hurt was transformed into hope one Easter Sunday a couple of years ago. Watch this with me.
2: Growing up, my home was very dysfunctional. Both my parents were always fighting, and they really couldn't take care of me and I was sent to family members, to her family members in Peru. And when I went there, um, I guess I never really had any protection. So I was very open and left open, I guess, to any type of sexual abuse. It was almost like I was like a magnet for it. Came back here to the United States and my home was a mess. By the time I was 17, I had decided to move out, actually drop out of school and get my GED because I didn't want to be at home. And I don't know why my mind just thought that it would be, I guess that's what I've, all I was good for, but I decided to go into dancing. And it took a really big emotional toll on me. I was like very broken and lost. I had always experimented with, with drugs. I had always drank at a, from a very young age. I ended up pregnant and I went. I had to go back into my parents' home, which I didn't want to do so because I wanted to stay away from there. I wanted to be independent. But I needed their help. I had my son. I was clean. I had my son. After having my son, I got back into dancing again. And I cried on my knees. I was crying. know what to do anymore. I thought, you know, I have to clean up my life before I can do this right. I need to get off of drugs and I need to find another job. And until I can figure that out, I can't go to church because God's not gonna take me. And that was wrong, that's not the truth. But I didn't know that. And I went into a detox center and when I came out of there, I should say I met a guy, and um, he, there was something different about him. Really, what it was, it was, he had Christ, now I realize he had Christ in his life. I I said, hey, um, can I come with you to your church? And I started coming. Within weeks, um, I guess, Every single time I went, I heard a sermon and it was like God was revealing himself, like everything that was being said I had never heard before. Uh, Easter 2014, that day I prayed with Lon and I accepted Christ into my life. And Christ is the center of my life, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the ultimate that he will love you like nobody can ever love you. He will heal you, that he will restore the years the locust has eaten. He's radically changed everything.
1: Now some of you may think, okay, that sounds that sounds great, but that's pretty subjective. Isn't it just, just because somebody has an experience doesn't make it true? Right after all, there's millions of people in the world who've had other experiences in other religions. So maybe Jesus works for Mary Magdalene or Shalon, but that doesn't mean Jesus works for... Everybody, Islam, Buddhism, atheism, agnosticism, it's all just a matter of subjective preference. But is it? I mean, that sounds good at first. It certainly appeals to a world that views religion in terms of preference and opinion. But when you pause for a moment and actually think, you realize the resurrection of Jesus is not a matter of subjective preference at all. It's a matter of objective truth think about it either jesus did rise from the dead or jesus did not rise from the dead that's not a question of preference or opinion that's a question of truth and it's a really important question the reality is if jesus didn't rise from the dead then we are wasting our time on this easter sunday like wasting our time this whole thing's a sham it's a lie and Christians are fools. I, I am, Shallon is, and a whole lot of people in the world are. The Bible itself says that. First Corinthians chapter 15 says followers of Jesus are to be pitied among all people if Jesus didn't rise from the dead because they've based their lives on a lie. In other words, if you're not a Christian today and Jesus did not rise from the dead, then feel sorry for Christians. But if Jesus did rise from the dead then that has huge ramifications for every single one of our lives. This is the one who taught that he was God in the flesh, that the only way to come to God is through him. And then he rose from the grave to prove it. He did what no one else in all of history has ever done or would ever claim to do, dead for three days and now alive, never to die Again, don't miss this because everything hinges on this. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we don't have to worry about a thing he said. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then we must listen to everything he said. And this is not a question of preference or opinion, but of of truth. Did Jesus rise from the grave? Now, most people think that the burden of truth in that question is on Christians. Like, followers of Christ need to give evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. But I don't think that's completely the case. Sure, of course, there's a burden of proof on those who believe in Christ to, to know why they believe Jesus rose from the dead. But there's also a burden of proof on those who don't. Because there's no question, even among the most secular of scholars, that around 2,000 years ago, an entirely new religious community and movement was formed virtually overnight. And immediately, hundreds of people started claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead, even when it meant they would die for claiming that. A fast growing movement that now makes up what some estimate is about a third of the world. So, how do you explain that? you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus then there's a burden of proof here to provide some other plausible account for how this movement called the church started just like that and there's various explanations out there some people believe that Jesus didn't even die on a cross much less rise from the grave many Muslims for example believe that it was merely a man who looked like Jesus who was crucified that day This a theory invented by Muhammad six centuries after the crucifixion occurred. Others believe that it was Jesus on the cross, but he didn't actually die there. Instead, he was just hurt really, 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 really bad. He fainted and went unconscious, so people just thought he was dead. So this, an explanation that assumes Jesus went through six trials, no sleep, a brutal scourging, thorns thrust into his head, nails thrust into his hands and feet, and a spear thrust into his side after several hours on a cross. Then he fainted, was wrapped in grave clothes, put in a tomb with a stone rolled over the entrance that was guarded by Roman soldiers. So he subsequently regained consciousness, nudged the stone away from the darkness of the tomb, hopped past the guards who were standing by, and coolly went about his way. Probably not the most plausible explanation. (laughs) Others maintain that the, the tomb wasn't empty. The disciples and Mary just went to the wrong tomb. And ever since that day, everybody's been going to the wrong tomb. If only someone would check next door. Others allege that the disciples were just delusional, hallucinatory at best, when they claimed they'd seen Jesus alive after he died. But as we mentioned earlier, even the thought of resurrection from the grave was virtually inconceivable in both Greco-Roman and Jewish thought in the first century. Yet hundreds of people suddenly claimed to have seen Jesus, some of whom ate, drank, and talked with him. Hallucinations don't normally eat and drink In addition to all of that, it wasn't in the best interest for these people to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, knowing that if they did, they could and would lose their lives for it. Pascal said, I believe the witnesses that get their throats cut. That's why... N.T. Wright concludes, the early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and the meetings or sightings of the risen Jesus. Nobody was expecting this kind of thing. No kind of conversion experience would have invented it. To suggest otherwise is to stop doing history and enter into a fantasy world of our own. All of that leaves us with one other possible explanation. Jesus did die on the cross and actually rise from the grave. You say, well, all of that doesn't prove that a real physical resurrection of Christ caused this radical shift in history. Well, what did then? There's a burden of proof on all of us here, a step of faith for all of us. And the reality is, we're not the first people to want proof of the resurrection of Jesus. Listen to this second story in John 20 from a man named Thomas. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, so with the disciples when Jesus first appeared to him after his resurrection. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, Thomas gets kind of a bad rap here because of his doubts and questions. But personally, I'm pretty thankful God put somebody like Thomas in the story to do a reality check for all of us. I don't want to base my life on a lie. The last thing I want to do is encourage anybody else to base their lives on a lie. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Oh, you hear it? You hear Thomas's story? So Mary's story, I was hurting and Jesus gave me hope. Thomas's story, I was doubting and Jesus showed me truth. And this is so encouraging Like, it is not bad to doubt, to ask questions. Jesus doesn't just say to Thomas, stop doubting and just believe. Instead, Jesus says, stop doubting and believe as he shows him the evidence of his love for him in nail-scarred hands and a spear-pierced side. Jesus doesn't call us to a blind faith, just step out into nowhere. Jesus calls us to reasonable faith, to faith based on truth, and he does it with grace. Just like he did in the life of another man in Mark 9 who was filled with doubts, he cried out to Jesus, Lord, help my unbelief. And just like he has done with numerous people who have dared to ask, is the resurrection of Jesus actually true? Thomas is not alone. Let me introduce you to Ali Ganji, a physician here in Washington whose story moves from doubt to truth. Watch this with me.
3: My name is Ali Ganji, I'm a physician. My specialty is rehabilitation after catastrophic illnesses and injuries. I was born in Iran, and um, and my my parents were secular Muslims, but um, I was influenced by an uncle who was a fundamentalist Muslim clergy. I was uh, always interested in sciences. So when I was 16, I immigrated to the United States and uh, by the time I went to college at Georgetown University, I started doubting my faith, I started doubting the existence of God and also uh, uh, doubted even the possibility of afterlife as a muslim i was always uh, unsure of where i was going to go if the good that i do was good enough to to make it to heaven then god's divine radar detected me and i met a couple of students who were born again christians at first i was Uh, not interested at all in their message because I thought I had heard the message before. I didn't realize that Christianity is not a religion, it's a two-way relationship with God of the universe. And these people have actually a two-way relationship with God of the universe, the way God originally designed us before the fall. So I started investigating this very, very thoroughly, hoping that I could prove them wrong but there is preponderance of historical evidence that proves that Christ indeed rose from the dead after three days. And then I saw all the evidence in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the prophecies that have come true, and ultimately transformation of human lives supernaturally by the power of Holy Spirit. The other thing that I didn't understand was there is passive sin as well as active sin. Uh, the Bible says, whatever you didn't do for the least of these people, you didn't do it for me. So all of us build up a sorry record of passive sin that we cannot pay for. So we only we need the sa- savior to to, to pay for, for for our sins. So I ultimately could not fight this anymore and fell on my face at the foot of the cross and gave my life to Jesus. And that truly transformed my life. And that's why I know that this is not just my wishful thinking. This is an objective transformation that is done by none other than God of the universe when one is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The transformation that I have undergone is so real that I know it's not just placebo or my my own wishful thinking. Uh, It is God's truth.
1: These stories lead to the last part of John 20, where the author of this Bible book, John, writes these words. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, what's most interesting about this last verse in particular is the emphasis that John puts on that word belief. You see it twice, right? So you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. In this Bible book named after him, John uses this word over and over and over again. And this is so important because this is where the message of Christianity really is radically different than every other religion in the world. For here we don't have a list of things to do. Like boxes to check off. Rituals to follow. No, here we simply have truth to be believed. And this is the question we're confronted with on this day. Like, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And if you don't, if you would not say yes to that question then there is a a burden of proof that is on you this is too important simply to put off what is the better explanation then this is not a matter of religious preference this is a matter of truth and eternity is dependent on a right answer to this question but even if you say yes even if you say okay yes i believe jesus rose from the dead we need to understand what the bible means by belief And I want to urge you to listen real closely here because so many people in our culture who go to church here and there, maybe even every week, would say they believe in the resurrection of Jesus. On this Easter Sunday, many people are gathering in churches to celebrate supposed belief in the resurrection. But there are multitudes of people here And in churches like this one right now who believe in the resurrection of Jesus but are not followers of Jesus and do not have eternal life with Jesus, you say, is that possible? absolutely it's possible and the reason i say that with full confidence is because even the devil himself believes in the resurrection of jesus and he is not a follower of jesus and he does not have eternal life with jesus think about it if the devil himself were here today and i were to ask him do you believe the bible is the word of god he would say yes If I were to ask him, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? He would say, yes. If I were to ask him, do you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead? He would say, yes. If I were to ask him, do you believe Jesus is the only way to be saved from sin? He would say, yes. If I were to ask him, will you commit to live a a good, decent life? moral life go to church even get involved in leadership even be on staff in the church he would say yes because you can believe and do every single one of those things and not be a follower of Jesus and not have eternal life with him but you know what the key question is the key question that would change everything in a conversation with the devil or the key question that changes everything in every one of our lives the key question is is Jesus, your life is Jesus your life the words of Thomas earlier is Jesus your Lord and your God do you repent do you turn aside from your own rule in your life and do you believe do you trust in Jesus as your Lord and your life and the devil when asked that question would say absolutely not And scores of people, even scores of people who identify themselves as Christians in the church would look at lives and, if honest, would say, yes, I believe in Jesus with my mind, but I am not following Jesus with my life as my Lord and my God. Yet, this is John's story, and it's the story of any and every true follower of Jesus. I was dead, and Jesus gave me life. These things are written, so you may believe in Jesus, and by believing, you might have life in His name. So, I I want you to hear one more story Noble's story. Noble spent years in the church, and almost all of that time, in all those years' worth of Easter services, he would have told you he was a Christian. Without question, culturally, he was. Did he believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Sure, ever since he was a kid. Was he involved in the church? Yes. But had he turned from himself to trust in Jesus as his Lord and his life? Listen to Noble's story.
4: My name is Noble. I've been a member at McLean Bible Church for about 10 years now. Well, I was raised in a Christian home, and I went to church every Sunday, and I heard the altar call every Sunday, and I heard the gospel clearly presented each week. Um, At about seven, I finally believed that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the only way to get to heaven. For the next 23 years, I lived my life basically apart from God. I didn't invest in my spiritual life. I called myself a Christian because of that sinner's prayer I'd prayed as a boy. I was successful, I was married, had a business, um, and a degree, and uh, I was doing well. I could finally afford to buy all the things I ever wanted, and I was flirting with all the pleasures of this life. And and uh, secretly, I had chains that chained me down, sins and stubborn habits that I'd had since I was a boy. And uh, But all in all, I thought I was a pretty good guy. Then at 30 years of age, my uh, business, which was successful until then, my marriage, which is successful, they uh, came to a halt. I was bewildered, wondering what was happening. God had blessed me for so many years. Why was He stopping now? But in all reality, I was honest with myself at that point, and I realized that there were things I was doing that were displeasing to God. My lustful eye and my overindulgence of food and drink and my pride, my love of money and other things were really uh, my masters. Jesus wasn't really my master. And so uh, at the perfect time, My wife lovingly suggested that perhaps it was time I read the Bible all the way through in its entirety. So, uh, for the first time in my life, I was willing to do that. I agreed and bought a one-year chronological Bible and started my process, my journey through the Bible. As I read the Bible, I quickly discovered in the Old Testament that God is to be feared and honored and respected. He's not to be toyed with. He's a, a holy God. And then as I got to the New Testament, I recognized that Jesus was merciful and forgiving and and loving, however, he was still just as demanding of our obedience. He said, The one that has my commandments and obeys them is the one that loves me. He said, If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So at that point I realized that believing in Jesus and obeying Jesus are one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin. You can't not separate them. To separate obedience from belief. I believe is damnation either way. It's either a works-based salvation or it's a cheap grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it. So through reading the Bible, God convicted me of the things I was doing that were sinful and he gave me the courage to finally, fully and completely surrender my life to Jesus. I got on my knees and asked for forgiveness and I repented and turned from my sins and Jesus broke the chains of addiction and stubborn habits in my life. He gave me true freedom. I've been following him now for 15 years. So. When did I become a Christian? Was it when I was seven? Only God knows that, but what I do know is I didn't start to follow Jesus until I was 30. And now I'm a follower of Jesus. That's how I define myself.
1: So my question is, what is your story? Not just the person beside you, in front of you, behind you. Not just these people in John 20 or these people in these videos. Like right where you're sitting, what is your story? When you boil it down, like there's really only two potential stories here. Two potential responses and both involve a step of faith. So one potential story is for you to say I turn away from Jesus in my life. You may choose to say I don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I'm going to bank my life forever on Jesus not having risen from the dead. Or, or maybe to say I'm going to believe it, but I'm just going to believe it culturally. I'm going to to keep Jesus, though, at an arm's distance, and I'm not going to follow him as my Lord and my life. Either way, you're saying the same thing. I turn away from Jesus in my life. So that's one potential story. The other potential story is to say, I... Trust in Jesus as my life. To say with Mary and Shallon and scores of other men and women, I was hurting and I trusted in the one who conquered sin and death in this world to bring me hope. I urge you amidst the inevitable hurts in this world, trust in Jesus as your ultimate hope in your life and forever. And I promise the resurrected Christ will prove himself faithful. Along those lines to say with Thomas and Dr. Gandhi, I was doubting and he showed me truth. God loved me enough to come to this world, flesh and blood, to demonstrate his love. And the evidence is there in what he did on the cross for my sins and his resurrection from the grave. What more proof do we need of God's great love for us? And trust in Jesus today, and don't just trust in Him as a cultural crutch. You become a nominal Christian, a a Christian in name only, which is no follower of Christ at all. Along with John and Noble and countless others over the course of the last two thousand years, trust in Jesus to bring you from death to life now and forever. Ah, oh, is is this your story? Like, are you trusting in Jesus as your life right now? I ask every person, every campus, every room in here, like, are you trusting in Jesus as your life such that you know if you were to die today, knowing none of us is guaranteed tomorrow, do you know that if you were to die today, you would have eternal life with God? And there is no more important question in the world for you to answer than this. And today, if you have any question about this, if your heart does not Resound and when you hear that question, just saying, Yes, Jesus is my life, and today I want to invite you to find life in him. He loves you. He wants you to know his hope, his truth, his life. Free from the penalty and payment of sin and death forever. So in just a moment, so this is where all this is headed, here at other campuses and other rooms. We're all gonna stand and we're gonna sing a song of trust in Jesus. And when we start to sing, I want to invite people all across this room and overflow rooms at other campuses, from the first note this play, from the first word that is sung, I want to invite you to step out from where you are, to make your way down to the front of this room, front of other rooms, other campuses. And in your coming to the front and spreading out and standing there as we're all singing together to be saying like Mary and Thomas and John and Shallon and Dr. Ganji and Noble, right here, right now, I trust in Jesus as my life. So guests and friends and family members, nominal Christians, even church members who've called yourself a Christian, when you you came in today thinking others needed Christ, you're realizing you need Christ Whoever you are, like, please don't let pressure of any kind keep you from coming to Christ as your life. Thinking, well, what will my friend and family think, friends or family think if I come now? What will other members of the church think? I've been here all these years. We've said this before. If they're Christians, they will praise God that you are coming to Christ. Don't let pressure, don't let pride keep you from coming down, or don't let anything keep you from coming down and confessing the resurrected Jesus as your Lord and your life today. There's nothing more important than this, nothing. I did a funeral on Friday for a couple, a husband and a wife, who died tragically in a car accident. One minute, everything was great. The next minute, she was instantly gone. He died moments later. Like None of us is guaranteed another moment trust in the resurrected Christ to give you life now. So let let me pray. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I pray. I pray that right now in this room and other campuses and overflow rooms, assisted living centers, just wherever we are, God, I pray that you would give courage for people of all ages, stages of life, to find hope in you amidst the hurts of this world, to find truth in you amidst the lies of this world, and to find life in you that overcomes death forever. God, I pray, please, please change stories and lives all across this room and other campuses right now, I pray in Jesus'
0: name, amen. Thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. If you'd like to watch this full sermon or hundreds of other sermons, interviews, articles, and podcasts, that's all available free to you at our newly updated home on the web, Radical.net. And if you're in the Washington, D.C. area and would like to hear David in person, you can make plans to visit McLean Bible Church, where David serves as the teaching pastor. You can learn more about McLean and find a campus near you at mcleanbible.org. Well, I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us at
3: Radical.net.